Sermon on the Mount is coming up. Uh, the series is something that many of our old timers talked about, and God used that series as the first series of Crossway about seven years ago. Uh, so powerfully, as we revisit that by request, I'm excited. But as I mentioned, this spiritual discipline is two part series. I think it's a really good preparation to think about contextual uh, meaning to it. And Sermon on the Mount is notorious in a way to be misunderstood and misinterpreted and taken out of the context in many uh, different ways. So this will provide at least the mindset that we need to walk into the Christian life and, and to the teaching of the greatest sermon that ever preached by our Lord and Savior Jesus. What do you think about when you think about spiritual disciplines? Our generation is the one that don't really like structure, and the word discipline itself is a little bit of turner. So there are more contemporary in efforts of trying to be relevant churches, the use of terminologies like uh, spiritual rhythms or spiritual practices. And I think that those are well-meaning, and we sometimes use that. But I'm going to stick to this traditional definition, traditional word, spiritual disciplines. But since there are so many misconceptions, let's start with about four, at least four, misconceptions, common misconceptions about spiritual disciplines. Number one is this. They are spiritual for spiritual giants and elites, not for ordinary people like me. I can't pray more than two minutes. And if I fast one meal, I feel like I'm fainting. So the spiritual giants, the serious people, the missionaries, the pastors, maybe they could do it, but not me. We're missing out if you really think about what spiritual disciplines bring. We're missing out if we give up on even the concept of it. Number two, misconception is spiritual disciplines are spiritual So somehow their effect must be mysteriously immediate when I practice them. I don't get anything out of quiet time. I spend time reading Bible and trying to pray. Oh, I get bored. I don't understand. So how many times have you spent time with the Lord? I did my quiet, did my quiet time twice this week. So when you're going on a date, the first date, what usually what? What do they say? It's a smoke. They put up the best front. But as you get to know them, you get to see the 360-degree angle of that person. One-on-one over meal is one deal to it. But as you spend time with their friends, his friends or her friends, you get different size. 
and their family, mom and dad, and their brothers and sisters, their interaction gives you something. And then their work friends, and then when, they, when you work together, think together, play together, all different kinds of things are happening. But because the word spiritual, we are misunderstood, misunderstanding this concept. Hear me out. Maybe it's better way. It's physical activities or mental activities that are healthy for our spiritual life. Our relationship with God, our condition of our soul care. It is a physical discipline. So there is a concept that we need to embrace, and I will explain a little more later. Number three, a misconception is that the spiritual disciplines are an end in themselves. In a way, they are the signs of my spirituality my spiritual maturity. As the title suggests uh, today's sermon, spiritual disciplines are merely a means to an end, which means that as we are receiving God's grace, something we cannot do alone. We don't have a power to change within ourselves. So the spiritual disciplines becomes means of grace. This is a John Wesley's terminology. By doing these, it becomes a means or venues or channels to receive God's grace. And the final outcome fruit is the Holy Spirit's fruit. Christ-like character. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. The God who created us had envisioned his image to be reflected in human beings. But because of original sin, inherited sin, we no longer reflect that. And Christ, the Son of God, has become the firstborn, which means the progenitor. It's a theological word. The first person who initiated that process. And he is the example. Christ's likeness is our example. So which means spiritual disciplines are a merely a means of grace for us to become more like Christ in our character. There are famous... Um, Stories about pride, people who try to fast 40 days. Jesus said fast 40 days, right? And they fast 40 days with all their heart. Think about how hard that would be. And on the way down, they're so hungry, they ate too much and they died. You, you, you could literally die that way, right? But I still remember the one spiritual mentor, a spiritual director, was approached by this protege and basically, you know, I want to become godly like you. You just exude the godliness, just your smile. 
All that, I want to be like that. Teach me how to pray. And the uh, spiritual mentor said, go pray alone and come back. And then he came back with a little bit of a prideful smile on his face and said, I prayed without missing a day. 46 days in a row. The implication, aren't you proud of me? Are you going to compliment me? And the spiritual director and the spiritual mentor talked to him this way. I have another homework for you. Tomorrow, don't pray. And he was just messed up. You know how hard it was for me to pray 46 days in a row. You want me to break that? I'm not sure I want you to be my spiritual mentor anymore. You know the point is? The, the spiritual mentor and director saw pride in that. Spiritual disciplines by itself is not an end. It's not something we accomplish and become prideful. If there is, in one sense, when you're succeeding, that is not what God designed for us to do. It becomes a legalism. Or what if you feel continually guilty? Because you mess up so much and you can't be consistent with spending time with God alone. And that also, guilt suggests that it has become an end to it, a marker for spiritual growth. Think about it this way. Healthy married couple spend regular intentional time together. True or false? Come on. But people who, couples who spend time together regularly are always healthy, healthily married couple. False. (laughs) Henry's experiencing right now. You get sick and tired of each other. You need to go out to separate ways for a while, right? The same way that spiritual disciplines helps us to to go to God. But it is not end. On end. Lastly, this is probably most closest to our uh, community, spiritual community. Spiritual disciplines are burdensome duty in which I will always feel guilty. I, I don't pray enough. I don't read Bible enough. I don't serve enough. I don't fast enough. So I'm going to be feeling guilty, but and yet I don't have motivation. So uh, our church is known for pushing quiet time, daily quiet time. And then rightly so, some people think that I'm too structured that the whole entire church is spending time on the same page every day. Yeah, rightly so. Feel free to go off. You're not, you know, chained by that. But the idea is that um, whenever people mention that, even if they go on a regular, their own passages, and they will go to favorite passage a few times, but then yet run out of the gas, feel unmotivated and burdensome duty. My aim in this message 
to change that perspective. Before we do things, let's make sure that we change the perspective. I go to LA Fitness every day, and some of you guys probably have that rhythm and practice as well. It took me a long time to get into this rhythm. But in the beginning of those days that I just, I, I, when I think about that, I, I, I have so much regret. Some, some years I paid, faithfully paid, not, not that I intentionally paid, but they take automatic draw from the you know, EO count, right? But for six months, I went only once. And sometimes uh, I forget how many months I, I missed. And it's really hard to go back. And ha- uh, part of the reasons is that I don't ask why. I don't ask how good a benefit in eventually in big picture this will bring. And that is my aim in this message. The next part, we're going to talk about maybe two or three or key essential spiritual disciplines. And then I want to introduce to you. And by the way, solitude and silence day is coming. And this is not some for extraordinary people, but everyone in Crossway encouraged to attend that. Richard Foster's book, entitled Celebration of Discipline, when I grabbed that book, it changed my paradigm. It's rocked my world. Because the world spiritual discipline sounds like I need to be somehow uh, a mean, stubborn will type of person that I just need to cringe my face and endure the difficulty of spiritual disciplines. His book title even suggests ironical truth, celebration of discipline. This is a mere, just beginning, first chapter, he writes this, joy is the keynote for all the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines, by capital D, he means spiritual disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. And when the inner spirit is liberated from all that weighs it down, it can hardly be described as dull drudgery. Singing, dancing, even shouting characterized the disciplines of the spiritual life. Joy and freedom. That's that's true on this coming week as we are trying to have quiet time and trying to pray. There is a passage um, that I like to go to to hear Jesus' words directly, to give us some perspective overall, and then maybe practical reasons why the spiritual disciplines are 
essential in our Christian living. And then in closing, we, we will do some application. Um, the passage is an unusual passage. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. This is many people's Christians' favorite passage. And even non-Christians would read that and, oh, that sounds so inviting and soothing. But if you pay attention in second reading, there is a counterintuitive side to Jesus' invitation. With that in mind, read it with me. Uh, Verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And we say, that sounds good. How? In verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. Did you see that? The invitation is to whom? All who labor and are heavy laden. I've been going through a lot of stress. That's me. So I'm looking forward to family vacation this week. Um, And with that anticipation, for what? You will find rest for your souls. I will give you rest. That sounds really good. How then? By giving you escape from your daily realities and do nothing. That's what we'd expect, right? But counterintuitive how is this? By giving you burden. By giving you yoke, by making you work. As, as we all know, yoke is wooden structure that's supposed to be laid on the two oxen, usually, to pull stuff, right? How is that giving me rest? We need to listen to this why and struggle with the meaning of easy yoke. Jesus means it. Do I believe it? Am I doubting it? Or am I missing something? Jesus said, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, non-Christians don't have to read Bible and pray. Non-Christians don't have to set aside an extended time to spend time with God in solitude and silence. And they do whatever they want to. It sounds like more lighter over there than here. So let's think about this together. Yoke is a metaphor. of servitude, it's a work, right? Submission to something or someone. 
contextually, Jesus saw a bunch of people who are, care, who are wearing yoke that is heavy and just getting them burnt out. But what are they? For Jewish people, it was the Pharisee legalism, heavy burden because of their legalistic boundary marking instead of heart attitude toward God, they clean up the outside only. And by cleaning up the outside, when you think about outside only, external things only, there's nothing so much to clean up and nothing so much to be prideful about your accomplishment. So they created men's traditions, ways that you could keep Sabbath. It's, it's their own application to keep Sabbath holy and rest principle. And they tweak it. And because of that, they were so angry looking at Jesus' healing on Sabbath day. And their diets continually became obsessed about what to eat and what not to eat. Even, even these days, the kosher food is just for the Orthodox Jews is must. You cannot just take them to sandwich shop and offer pastrami. Don't you know I'm Jew? And don't you know I'm Orthodox? I'm real Jew? Not the fake Jews? So those are, those became a very burdensome. Think about hundreds of external additional burdens uh, rules to keep to maintain that just like I said the people who a person that prayed for 46 days in a row and then when you are in that tiptoeing mode of trying to maintain your own spirituality on your own the intensity of keeping everything under control is a tremendous stress What do I mean by that? Spirituality mistaken from the scripture, from the biblical picture, can make us most miserable. And we see that all the time around us. And even other religions also too. In the name of their religion and their spirituality, their burden and their bondage to to all these things are were there. And some of us say, I, I'm not that spirit I'm not that religious. I didn't come from Christian background and actually my, my thing is not not I'm irreligious. And Jesus would say, You too have yoke on you. Many of us carry a yoke of self, self-expectation. Our opinions of ourselves is so high that whenever we fail something at work, and in, in our marriage, uh, in our parenting, just the burden is so much. Some of us are slavery in servitude attitude, and in reality, if we become honest, serving 
our possessions. That became our yoke. So if everyone has yoke on, the, on, our, on their shoulder, what Jesus is offering is, take my yoke. This is a different kind of yoke. This will be actually easier. In, in reality, you will find joy and freedom by taking upon your shoulder. Furthermore, the point about Jesus' invitation is not to something. It's actually to a relationship. And this is the most uh, staring, I mean, glaring problem of evangelical world. And Wade mentioned that in his, his message a few weeks ago. That someone who is uh, the young kid's teenager is trying to become a good baseball player, they will think about their favorite superstar and they will always mimic something. Someone, uh, their superstar, raise their bat above their head and they will do that. And someone raise their leg like this, they will do that. We we all done that, right? And who could forget even my teenage years as a martial art student Bruce Lee was so famous doing this, right? And then making this sound, ah! Just because you're doing that, you, you, it doesn't mean that you could kick or you hit the ball like your superstar. What's behind that is every day they're in the lifestyle of training, preparing. Even Jesus, Jesus is a perfect man and perfect God. When he entered the public ministry, 40 days of fasting and seeing his own attentiveness toward God, facing temptations as a human being in the desert, submitting himself to his cousin John the Baptist, although without sin, that he will be baptized as a symbol of returning to God. Is that, is that all? No. During his public ministry, he oftentimes disappeared to a lonely place, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes late at night, as a lifestyle of communing with the Father. To a point, the disciples had to hunt him down because the people who are sick and from the village they demand Jesus. The point of this easy yoke is listening to Jesus' invitation differently. It is not, just believe me, you will be saved. Easy believism. But to a discipling relationship. That he becomes your teacher or master. And every day, he walks alongside of you and be in training together with you. This is why we need spiritual disciplines. Sermon on the Mount, 
There are famous passages. For example, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. So this is a way what not to do without spiritual disciplines. No preparation, no training, no, not submitting ourselves to the means of grace that we could receive God's power and God's grace. We're thinking about, I'm going to do it. If someone, someone you know, insults me, and I'm going to just keep my, calm, calm myself down, and I'm not going to strike him, and I'm not going to even verbally attack so someone actually does that at work. Kind of snobbish comment on you and your quality of work. And all of a sudden, your anger just takes over. You just did, didn't even remember the fact that, that you were, after, the, after you spilled the water, in a sense, that you said F-words or S-words, or pushed the, the tray, or punch the hole at home, punch the wall at home. That's why sometimes uh, the picture frame is in a very strange spot. (laughs) It's not going to work. Dallas Willard has written many books. To this day, I read all the Almost every book that he wrote, I think The Spirit of Disciplines is probably his best book. It really did change my life. Because he talks about these easy yokes. Let me give you a little excerpt. And he writes, And in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle, following in his steps, cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lived is to live as he did all his life. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. This is like the aspiring young baseball players mentioned earlier. It's a strategy bound to fail and to make the way of Christ difficult and left untried. The secret of the easy yoke, then, to learn from Christ how to live our total lives, how to invest our time and energies of mind and body as he did. We must learn how to follow his preparations, the disciplines for the life in God's rule that enabled him to receive his father's constant and effective support while doing his will. We have to discover how to enter into his disciplines from where we stand today, and no doubt how to extend and amplify them to suit our needy cases. 
Maybe some of you guys need to read this when it's uploaded online. Maybe even get the book. There are two things in spiritual disciplines that we need to be mindful of. One is indirection. and The other one is habit or practice. Indirection. What do I mean by that? Spiritual disciplines are something that we can do in our own efforts regularly in order to do something that we cannot do on our direct effort. What do I mean by that? You struggle with prideful heart and you spew out your attitude, your action, and your, your words. And even if you don't say anything, your body language exudes the pride, arrogance. So when you come to church or talk to men's group or women's group, and you just say, decide to, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to do away with my prideful attitude. Just because you say that, that doesn't mean that you can It is impossible for you to change your heart on the direct effort. So spiritual discipline becomes a means of grace. So imagine that God's altar presents your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not that sacrifice. Why? Because that sacrifice, once given, it doesn't move. But because we are giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul Kim said, God, you are my God, your sovereign God. I need to be changed. My heart is prideful. Change me. Different forms of spiritual disciplines. Let me sit there. And as I, as I am willing to put myself on the altar, so that God can work on my heart. My indirect effort is sitting on that altar. God changes me. So later on, I don't feel the temptation of pride or snobbish remarks or attitude any longer, at least less, if the Holy Spirit really works in us. That's indirection. The other one is habit. When I, am, when I was starting going back to swimming, I was a competitive swimmer when I was a little, you know, my junior high years, and I probably tripled the size now. So in the beginning of going back seven, eight years after the free fall and resigned from that big church that I used to belong to, I was so miserable. I couldn't even swim 10 minutes because of the fact that it was so hard. And the more difficult thing is my pride hurts. I remember what I used to do, what I could do. And as I was trying to, trying to do flip turn, I don't know what happened to my body. It's like I went to the water and it's so embarrassing because I couldn't kick the wall. So I went up and 
I'm going home. That's when I met Frank there. I saw Frank, this guy was just encouraging me to keep doing it. Habit, I dragged myself, literally dragged myself. I don't want to go, but I got to go in the morning. So nowadays, about five times a week, sometimes six, if I miss about two days, my body is saying, what do you think you're doing? We need swimming. Get, get into the water. Because in the beginning, I might be really feeling tired, and those are the lies, right? So feeling tired and sleepy, oh, I, that means I need to go back to sleep and sleep more. And I get loud, feeling really lousy, right? But after the swim, suddenly this energy, I'm wide awake. I don't want to go to sleep. I don't want to even lie down anymore. Habit. When was, when was the time that you spent time long enough with God and God's word suddenly working on you? In the back of your head, when you're talking to your friend, and it's not your own human wisdom, God's word reminds you, this is well-fitting. Can you see this? Holy Spirit is using that. Habit. Practice. So now, I'm, I'm going to maybe regurgitate the same thing, but maybe more practical way, especially for those of you who are more... Uh, need a clear structure thing. There are three reasons why. The first one, why, we, why do we need spiritual disciplines as Christ followers? We need spiritual disciplines because Christian life is not a rowboat or motorboat, but a sailboat as an analogy, which means living by grace. Rowboat is legalism. Everything is on to your power. You have to roll. Just thinking about, just think about, okay, I, I see the Carolina Island. I'm going to use the rowboat. Can you imagine how hard that will be? Well, Christian life is not Carolina. It's going all the way to Hawaii. Can you even make the wave, the storms in the middle of it? Can you even survive the heat? So legalism, our own effort, not, not, doesn't work. On the other side, the hyper-grace mentality. Everything's by grace. Oh, I like grace. So it's like a motorboat. You turn it on, and motorboat takes you. You don't have to do anything. You just sit down and enjoy the view. So you're thinking, I've been Christian for 10 years like this. How come I don't really change? I'm as sinful as I used to be. My heart is as wicked as I used to be. I'm impatient even more because you're taking the motorboat approach. The sailboat idea, we don't have a power to move the boat at all. It's in the wind. But if you don't do anything, the wind will not take the sailboat. You have to, I don't know what they do, something like that, right? Discern the leading of the Spirit and prompting of the Holy Spirit and raise the sail. And suddenly, John 3, verse 8, to Nicodemus, Jesus said that. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from 
or when it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I will say even everyone who is led by the Spirit. As Romans 8 verse 14, for, though, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, children of God. I think that we get confused. Um, the grace means unmerited favor. So we are so faithful about not offending God by trying so hard. Activity. Grace doesn't oppose activity. Grace opposes merit. Not my word. Dallas Willard said that. So if you are lazy, yeah, yes, I mean spiritually lazy. You've probably been very active in other things. But in a physically lazy and spiritual life, you don't really carve out time with God, and you don't do that. And what's happening is basically you're misunderstanding the concept of living by grace. Come to me. And even Isaiah said that, drink water. I will offer free water and free food. But you have to come. You can't sit down. and God will just supply what I need. Faith and obedience is so important in that sense. How about one more? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Apostle Paul confessing about his Christian life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I used to stop there. Hallelujah. It's no longer I live, Christ lives in me. So I waited for a long time. Christ, I want you to live through me. But don't do anything on my part, right? We need to read the the rest of the verses. And the life I now live. Who lives? Himself. Apostle Paul lives in the flesh. In the not that's not sinful nature, the sarks, but it is soma, our physical body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. In other words, I. Practice my faith and obedience to receive God's grace daily. So let me ask you. Is it your pastor? Is it your brother who cares for you? Are you riding a rowboat or motorboat or sailboat? For those of you who say sailboat, when was the last time you raised a sail because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Number two reason. We need spiritual disciplines because... Christian life requires not mere trying, 
but training for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, Train yourself for godliness. Allow me to repeat this. Some of you heard me saying this probably several times. The Greek word for train is gumnatsu. Gumnatsu. From which we got the word gymnasium. So the Christian life is a sweaty affair. It takes training on our part. Apostle Paul, about his own spiritual life, he uses the athletic uh, analogy in Roman. I mean, First Corinthians nine, verse twenty-four through twenty-seven. Do you not know? In a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run, that you may obtain it. Give it all you got. Be intentional. Put your heart into it. Verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable the type of crowns that we were familiar with, Greek uh, Olympics kind of style, right? Verse 26, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Many of you, I mean, 16 of our church members went half marathon. And I'm proud of you guys. But what's more, what was most more uh, encouraging to me is several weeks prior to that, the people will train together. And their, their smartphones have track record of how many uh, people run, how fast they run per mile. They're encouraging each other trash-talking each other, having so much fun, they were kind of thinking that maybe we should run again. Have you been training in that spiritual life now? Because of our, this day and age, so many people are so intentional about health, what to eat and how to train their bodies. It has a limited effect. But the training for the godliness, the scripture says, for the effect for eternity. Third and last, we need spiritual disciplines because the vision and goal of our Christian life is Christ-likeness. And then we, we do that by practicing spiritual disciplines by means of grace. Hear me out. Some people misunderstand the idea of practicing spiritual disciplines as if you're you know, practicing martial arts and practicing baseball, basketball, uh, free throws, and just all up to the human level. No. The spiritual aspect of that, the Holy Spirit works on us as we are 
surrendering our bodies and heart. So there are spiritual disciplines which cease to be means of grace because we're doing it for our own self-accomplishments, selfish reasons, to brag of ourselves. Holy Spirit doesn't participate in that. So what is the goal and vision? Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, Christ, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So simply put, if you're going to run Christian race, look at the goal line. Is to become like Christ. And like I said, from a more bigger perspective, is the way that God designed each one of us should reflect his image. And his son, Jesus Christ, became an example for us. That he redeemed us so that we might glorify God by becoming more like son, his son. Of course, when we get to heaven the glorification will be suddenly swept away in a way that without no longer struggling with sin, will become perfect as Christ has become perfect. So in other words, we will struggle no longer. C.S. Lewis's word, we'll be tempted even bow down to each other because we are looking at fully sanctified saint in front of us. But that's that day. What we do and how we live each day matters because it pleases God, it glorifies God, and we can become transformed souls as we are pursuing this. 2 Corinthians 3.8.10 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Yes, that's the work of the Spirit. And once again, our participation, partnership in that uh, is faith and obedience. Putting ourselves To the means of grace. I could end here. And my worry is. Oh that's good. I understand now. But the big question. Until the next message is. How will you apply? So before those application questions. Let me provide some suggestions. Number three, three questions, three application points. Number one, begin with a vision of God for you. And ask yourself, do I like who I'm becoming? Not in your career, not whatever the selfish reasons. Think about God's vision for you. When God redeemed you and saved you from eternal damnation, he wants you to be his heir. 
He wants you to become like his son. So that means we intuitively know do I like who, who I'm becoming? And that's one of the reasons why, and key, the reasons why I decided to resign when there was no, uh, I could have stayed another 10 years in my previous church. Do I like who I'm becoming? More positively speaking, some of us need to think about, well, I'm sure Kate and Linda had chances to do that, not only on themselves during that school of spiritual direction with Larry Kraft, but they probably wrote to each other, I mean, their, their vision letters. Have you ever thought about, God, I want to dream, envision my character, when I grow old, I don't want to be grumpy old man. I want to become more like your son. So I want to vision, have this vision in front of me. When I'm spending time with God through scripture and just doesn't make sense, you get, I get bored, but I'll think about that. Number two, arrange your life around some spiritual disciplines, key spiritual disciplines that fit you, through which you can do what you cannot now do by direct effort. The idea of arranging your life around these activities, such a key concept. And even spending time with God alone, some of you are very convinced but you haven't arranged your life around it. So by the time when you remember it's too late and too tired and it's uh, mentally you're not alert, not prime time. But if you arrange your life, there will be a cost to it, isn't it? In October, we will go away a Saturday morning, three hours in the park, to spend time just merely listening to God in solitude and silence. But if you don't arrange your life now, you will surely have a reason why you cannot go. And nobody will force you. I used to be a little bit of a kind of rocking the boat. Why aren't you going? But you will not hear me. The church is big enough. I, I think, you know, I need to get away from my personal temperament, temperaments getting away so the Holy Spirit can convict you. Or a person next to you who knows you more personally could rock the, rock the boat and look into your eyes and ask, that's a lie. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that unless I know you and you person, personally well. Number three, train with others. When you are training with a, alone, alone, you can't really succeed. And you, don't, you know that. Any athletes know that. And I'm very grateful for my pastor friend, Frank. I just ran into him in the LA Fitness. Once again, he swims like a teenager still. It makes me feel like an old man. But he's encouragement. 
And then there are same people, same time, like it's a habitual thing, right? And if I don't show up for a few days, they will ask, where have you been? Oh, I've been goofing around a little bit. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for clarity of scripture guidance along with the Holy Spirit pointing the direction for our church and personally as well. And there are so many differing voices even when it comes to how to view spiritual disciplines and practice them. So we pray that we will keep our eyes focused on you and your desires and your passion and vision for us. Would you remind us what we have heard? And before we jump into the spiritual discipline dutifully, would you remind us this coming week, the vision, the picture, the passion you have for us. As many of us as dads and moms know how much we desire so much for good things for our kids and their character development. Help us to see your heart, your tender, loving heart in this vision. And we pray for our church that our church will not be legalistic church, will not be hyper-grace church that spiritual laziness is rationalized. Help us to be spirit-filled, spirit-guided church. That our active trust and obedience becomes our part in in presenting and surrendering ourselves to you as a means of grace. We're so thankful for you. You're Abba. We belong to you. We want to become more like your son, our Lord Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.